We're continuing in our series, uh, Throne, as we take a look at Daniel. Daniel, throughout his lifetime, has experienced uh, different levels of persecution. And uh, as we've walked our way through this series, we, we've talked about uh, persecution and uh, folks dealing with that. And one of the things we mentioned in week one or two is that most of the time, as uh, citizens of the United States, when we talk about persecution, we're really talking about inconvenience that uh, we probably haven't experienced real persecution for our faith in the United States. Maybe some of us have, but, but not most of us. Uh, however, we need to remember that the persecuted church is a, is a real thing around the world, that the body of Christ, while it's, it's awesome that we are a part of that body with those folks in this room, that that's not the extent of the body of Christ, that, that as we're worshiping this morning, there are millions of believers worshiping uh, around the world, and, and that's an awesome thing, but they're dealing with persecution and, and uh, all different corners of the world. Uh, the map you see is a, a map that's highlighted of the 50 uh, most dangerous countries in the world to be a Christian. And certainly Syria is one of those countries from that video. I don't know if you caught all of that. You know, one of the things that I, I just couldn't get over as I saw this video earlier this week and was thinking about, uh, you know, how to introduce this idea of Daniel dealing with persecution. You know, this Sunday school teacher who, as they're talking about her traveling from home to home, they said, you know, who dares to go from home to home? Who dares to go just to visit from home to home because it's, it's too dangerous? The, the latest numbers I could find because this situation is so fluid and changes so rapidly, these are from 2015, so they're, they're sort of obsolete even now. But at that point, the largest Christian city in Syria saw its population decrease from 400,000 Christians to 60,000 Christians as it saw well over uh, a million people uh, flee the, the Horn of Africa in the Middle East uh, as refugees to, to Europe and other places. In 2015, more than 7,000 Christians were killed for their faith. Uh, that that is an, was an increase from the previous years, 4,300 in 2014 and 2,100 in 2013. And, and those numbers don't include places like North Korea and Syria where it's just uh, so very difficult uh, in Iraq to, to obtain uh, information about that persecution. Uh, persecution, uh, the persecuted church is a real thing, and, and certainly uh, maybe we are dealing more with inconvenience in our world, but Daniel certainly experienced that same kind of persecution. Uh, we remember you know, him dealing with, with the king as he was carried into captivity, King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and, and pleading with him not to, uh, not to eat the meals that they were providing, but to be allowed to follow uh, their God's laws and dietary laws and, and how they managed that. And, and uh, we'd learned about his three friends that were uh, thrown into a fiery furnace for their uh, civil disobedience, for their unwillingness to bow down to a statue that the, the king 
had built. Last week we, we read about Daniel interpreting the writing on the wall with King Belshazzar and, and we, we found out, we discovered what that writing said and the fact that God had weighed uh, Belshazzar and found him wanting. And so uh, God decided that his life would end and it did that very night and his kingdom would fall to the Medes and the Persians and this king by the name of Darius moves in and takes control and, and uh, he decides that the way that he will manage his new kingdom is by appointing 120 uh, administrators. These, these folks were sort of like mayors or governors, and they were divided up to keep track of, of all the business in the kingdom. Their real job was to make sure that the king suffered no loss. So he, their, their job was to make sure that things kept running smoothly economically, that they kept running smoothly uh, politically, and that they kept running smoothly militarily, that they were in complete control of this expansive kingdom. Daniel was one of those 120 uh, governors, administrators, and the king appointed him uh, to serve in that role, and, and he did so well. He distinguished himself so much. The king decided that, you know, Daniel is, is by far my most successful administrator, and so I'm going to place him over all the others. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him kind of the rule of the roost. And just like Daniel had experienced earlier in his life, this troubled some of his, the folks that were working in that same capacity. They were, they were upset about this, jealous, whatever the reason that prompted uh, their, their jealousy, uh, they were. And they decided that we've got to figure out some way to kind of bring Daniel down a notch. You know, there has to be some dirt that we can drag up about Daniel and that we can share with the king so that the king will realize that Daniel's not such a great choice for this position, that he shouldn't be elevated to this successful position. So they, they worked hard to find some kind of uh, poor choice that Daniel had made. There, there had to be an accounting error. There had to be some kind of misappropriation. There had to be some kind of fib that Daniel told in all of these reports. That's what they thought anyway, but they couldn't find anything. And as they gathered together to talk about this and to say, you know, to discuss how in the world are, are we going to bring this guy down? How are we going to go to the king and say he shouldn't have this position? They decided that the only way that that could happen is if Daniel would break some kind kind of law that had to do with worship of God. And so this uh, group of administrators sent a few folks to talk to the king. They said, King Darius, we've got this great idea. We think that you ought to issue a law that says for the next 30 days, uh, you, you, nobody can pray to any other God but you. And they sort of played on his ego a little bit, and the king decided this is a great idea. So he issued that decree, and the word went out that uh, for the next 30 days, nobody can pray to any god but the king. Daniel heard this law and uh, understood the law, and Scripture says that he went home and he prayed just like he prayed every other day. Three times that day he prayed for God's help. Those folks who had sort of set Daniel up uh, were spying on him, and that when they realized that their uh, thoughts were right, that Daniel would continue to pray to his God, they brought that message to the king. The king was upset. He hadn't want, he was very fond of Daniel. Daniel was a successful administrator in his kingdom. He planned to promote Daniel and to continue to sort of enjoy the success that Daniel was bringing to his kingdom, but instead he was trapped by his own law. And these lawyers that had sort of made the law with the king said, there's 
there's no loopholes here, and it's punishable by death. That's what the law says. Uh, Daniel's got to go to the lion's den. And so the king brought Daniel, and they threw him in the lion's den, and even as they do that and roll the stone over the top of this, this pit with, with hungry lions in it, uh, the king calls out, may your God you know, save you, Daniel. The king went home, he couldn't sleep, he was nervous, he was anxious that entire night. Early in the morning, he goes back to the lion's den and he yells out to Daniel, you know, are you there, are you okay? And Daniel responds, may the king live forever, my God has protected me, he's rescued me, he sent an angel to close the mouths of the lions. They remove the stone, pull Daniel out of the lion's den, round up all those folks who had betrayed Daniel, who had set him up, they throw those guys into the lion's den and scripture says, before they hit the ground, they were dead. One of the amazing parts of this story is not just the, how God provides for Daniel, but the fact that the king uh, went from a few days prior, prior issuing a decree that said nobody can pray to a God but me, to then issuing a decree that everybody ought to worship and honor uh, Daniel's God. This amazing story of how God delivers Daniel. And we, we can count on God to, uh, to be with us and see us through and to deliver us uh, even through you know, persecution, real persecution. I think this story in Daniel chapter 6 uh, teaches us six responses to dealing with, with the difficult situations in life, those moments that, are, that seem too much to bear, even if, if we're dealing with real persecution. These are the three responses that uh, we can follow Daniel's guidance and, and living out in our lives. From Daniel chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to Daniel chapter 6. We'll walk our way through this uh, whole chapter of Scripture as we think about these three responses. The first response is that the best response to persecution is prayer, that prayer is the best response to persecution. The chapter 6 begins by saying it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is, this is a famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. If you, if you spent any time in church as a kid, if you attended Sunday school at all as a kid, this is probably a story that you remember from your childhood. I, I remember going to Sunday school as a kid, and, and I'm old enough that when we went to Sunday school, our teachers had these things called flannel boards. You've, some of you have experienced this. It's literally a piece of flannel stuck to a board. And the idea was that there were these little pieces of paper, these kind of cartoon cutouts with some kind of material on the back that supposedly would allow this cutout to stick to the flannel board. That didn't always work out. Uh, much of the time it sort of frustrated the teacher more than it helped, but it was supposed to sort of give this object lesson. I remember the story of Daniel uh, as one of these flannel uh, board stories because there would be some cute little lions that would be stuck on the flannel board and then there'd be Daniel. And Daniel was always this young strapping lad, probably the same flannel board figure that had showed up when, when Daniel was carried into captivity. You know, that whole story we 
We talked about in week number one, uh, Daniel decided, I'm not going to eat this food that the king has offered me. I'm going to stick to the, the food that God allows in my diet. And so Daniel followed his, uh, God's diet, and we remember that story. And there was Daniel on flannel board, the, the young, strapping young laddie. He was uh, handsome and, and all as as chapter 1 describes Daniel. And probably Daniel showed up again, you know, when he, uh, when he interprets the writing on the wall, when he interprets the king's dream. It's the same flannel graph Daniel that shows up all the way in chapter 6. Now, what we know is, is that life doesn't work that way. You know, if we had flannel board images of ourselves, it would be different. We might not like it or want it to be different, but it would be different from when we you know, went to college and when we started our career and when we had our first child and when that child graduated high school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Daniel by this time is in his 80s. He's, he's served several different kings, as we recall, as we've worked our way through the first five chapters of Daniel. And now in chapter six, he's serving a new king once more. And, and Daniel has served all of those kings well. And so at a time of a person's life when maybe they're, they're thinking about slowing down, down a little bit. Maybe they're thinking about retirement or being retired or have been retired for some time. Daniel was given this new job, and it's a job with much responsibility. And he so distinguishes himself in this job that uh, he, the king desires to promote him. I, I, I finished reading a book by Bob Russell. Bob Russell was a preacher at uh, one of the largest Christian churches in the United States for 40 years. And this book is just called 50 Years in Ministry. And it's, it's a book that just out lines, seven things that Russell would do the same in his ministry, and seven things that he would do differently. And it was sort of an interesting book, I suppose, if you're a preacher. Maybe not so much for you, I don't know. But I, I found it encouraging, and I thought, wow, this is, this is pretty cool that a guy who has this experience, who has lived this life, is still, you know, devoting time and energy and effort into pouring himself into the lives of others. And I think that's Daniel's attitude as he continues to serve the king, just like he served in, in chapter 1 and in chapter uh, 2 and, and just last week in chapter 5, we see Daniel continuing doing whatever it is that he does, he does with all his might. He does, with his, he does his very best. He does it as if he's doing it uh, for the Lord. This, however, creates some jealousy with the folks serving under him as the king plans to promote him, to uh, set him over all the kingdom. In verse 4, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And that's a pretty amazing description of Daniel, isn't it? A pretty amazing description that they couldn't find any wrong. You know, they couldn't find any mistakes, poor choices in his life. That if they were going to trip Daniel up somehow, it would have to do with his relationship with God. He was known, in other words, for loving his God so much that that's the only thing that he would do no matter what, that he would never uh, you know, walk away from that. 
So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. I just think it's interesting as we sort of compare the, the attitudes and the mindset and the character of all the, all the different folks in this story so far. For, for Daniel, they, they can't find any dirt on him. They do their best to scrounge up some little morsel of dirt to take to the king and say, look at this guy. You know, he, he misappropriated these funds. He, he made this mistake on your taxes and receiving taxes. Something that would say, man, we can, we can prosecute this guy and get him out of power. And they couldn't find anything. They, they discovered that the only thing that might, uh, they might be able to trip up Daniel is in his relationship with God. They, so they're, they're jealous and ambitious and all of those things. And, and uh, you know, how, the, how does that compare to Daniel's character? And then the king, who they decide we can, we can get this done if we just play towards the king's ego. And how that compares to Daniel's character throughout the story. And so the king Darius put the decree in writing. Now verse 10, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And verse 10 is a really interesting verse because I think it teaches us, uh, reminds us, I guess, of something we've, we've learned to know about Daniel. And that's when Daniel... When Daniel finds himself in a difficult situation. He's faced this same kind of persecution before. And when Daniel faces the most difficult times in his life, his first response is to pray. As you notice, he, he heard the decree was issued, and he went home to pray. His first response is to pray. And, and I read this again about Daniel, and I think, man, I want to be that person. I want to be that person that, that their first response in, in all sorts of situations is to pray. If you've uh, listened to, to me speak very much, if you know me very well, then you know one of my weaknesses for sure is sort of home, re I'm home repair. I'm just not very good at that stuff, right? And I remember one time we, were, we bought a new washer and dryer and we were installing that and we had, we had some help because I'm at least smart enough to know what I'm not good at. And we had some help to do that and, and we were struggling. It was one of those projects where you sort of make the 19 trips to Home Depot in the day and it's still not done and we were struggling getting this hose to connect correctly, and, and it was towards the end of the day. I've had these folks here and this one guy in particular to help do this way too long, and so not only am I feeling bad about my inadequ inadequacy in the first place to solve the problem, to take care of this repair or installation, now I'm feeling guilty because I've, I've required way too much of this, of my friend's time. You know, he's been here way too long and, and there's not enough pizza in the world to repay that sort of thing. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm frustrated. And we're trying to connect it and it's not working. And he stops and he drops the hose and the tools and he steps back and he says, let's pray about this. And I thought, no! 
We're not going to pray about this. You know, we are going to kick it. We are going to hammer it. We are going to shoot it. We are going to buy new clothes and move on. We're pray. And then I remembered, you know, I'm also this guy's preacher, so I can't say any of that. You know, and so I say, okay, let's pray. And so we pray. And then when we're done praying, you know, we connect the hose and it fits and it goes in and we slide the thing back and we press the button and it works. And look, I understand this is a goofy example, right? It's silly, it's ridiculous, but if you've lived my life, you're willing to call that a miracle. And as I thought about Daniel, who is really being persecuted, this is a real law that says, hey, if you pray to God, you're going to be executed. You're going to die. For 30 days, for 30 days if you, in, in this period, if you pray to God, you're going to be killed. And I thought, man, his first response is to pray. It's not to flee. It's not to hide. It's to pray. I thought, what is it about Daniel? You know, what is it about my friend that makes them the kind of person who says, oh, the first thing we're going to do is pray? Well, I think there's some clues in, in verse 10 of, of Daniel chapter 6. Uh, did you notice that this isn't a new thing? I mean, you know, maybe the flip side of, of that frustration level and, and not stopping to pray and not praying first is that when things get really bad, you know, when we've exhausted our resources, when we don't have any other plans or any other ideas for how to fix the situation, then we decide maybe we ought to pray. Well, that's not really where Daniel was either. Verse 10 says, Now Daniel learned that the decree had been published. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. You see, Daniel, I think there's some hints to how we become that person that prays in, in every situation, that seeks God's counsel when it matters most, and, and, and that's all the time, right? How do we become that person? Well, Daniel, he had this place, he went home, where he prayed every day, three times a day. Daniel had this place where he prayed. You know, and, and there's nothing magical or mystical or, or spiritual about that place other than that's where he talked to God. In any place can be that place for us. But I think we ought to find a place where we pray. Maybe we need a couple places to pray. You know, maybe that's your office. Maybe it's your den at home. Maybe it's just the bathroom mirror where you tape a prayer list that reminds you that when I'm brushing my teeth, when I'm in this place, I'm going to have a conversation with God. I'm going to pray. And so Daniel had this place where he prayed. Three times a day, every day he prayed. Which, by the way, is, is another hint, isn't it? As to how Daniel was this person. He had this plan to pray. Three times every day he prayed. You know, if, if your life is anything like mine, if it doesn't make the calendar, whatever appointment, whatever party, whatever whatever it is, if it doesn't make the calendar, it's likely not to make it to my life. It's not going to be done. You know, I'm not going to be there. 
because it wasn't on the calendar. Now, sometimes I can overcome that. Sometimes I can't, though. Uh, you know, and so we schedule the important stuff in our life. We schedule the appointments that we can't miss. We put it on the calendar. You know, you break it down if we're, if we're taking care of us. You know, some of us in this room, we schedule the time when we're going to work out physically, right? We're going to take care of our bodies. We're going to do that because it's important. So we're going to schedule that time. You know, most of us have sort of this schedule when we do things like feed our physical body. We're going to eat at this time and this time and this time. And it's sort of scheduled because it's important to our health and our well-being. Well, this relationship with God is so important to, for us for all of eternity, it's worth scheduling a time to meet with God in that place, to have that conversation. And, and Daniel did that. And I bet Daniel had a plan for, for how he prayed. I bet he, he had a plan to confess what was going on in his life. I bet he had a plan to honor God in those conversations. I bet he had a plan to ask God what he needed. And I bet he had a plan to thank God for being a God who listens and who answers prayer and who comes through. Daniel understood that the best response to persecution, the best response to the, the difficult times in our life, and the, should be the first response to the good times and the bad times, is to pray. The second response that uh, we need to think about is, is that we can trust God to deliver us. Look at verse 11. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and to make every effort until sundown to save him. Uh, they this group of folks who were looking for a way to trip Daniel up discovered it with this law to forbid prayer to any god but the king. They knew that Daniel would continue to pray. When they discovered that Daniel had continued to pray, they tattled on him, right? They took that information to the king. They turned him in. And the king was distraught. He was upset. Daniel was his favorite. Daniel had been very successful. The king was enjoying the success that Daniel brought to his kingdom. And he was looking for loopholes in this law to, to get around it. He couldn't find it, though, verse 13 says. Then the, they said to the king, Daniel, who's one... Or, 15, sorry. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Now this is interesting as we just continue to sort of compare the character of the folks involved in the story that uh, the king is upset about his, the law that he wrote and he, he made a law and he can't get out of it and so he throws Daniel into the lion's den and as he moves that rock over the top he, he calls out to Daniel's God. You know may your God protect you Daniel. You know, he, he's, he's changed his attitude from just a few days before uh, issuing the decree that, that made it illegal to pray to God. 
A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the, ring, sign, with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, and along with their wives and children, before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now, there are a few things as we finish this response that we can trust God to deliver us that don't show up in that Sunday school rendition of the story of Daniel. Because, first of all, we don't often get to their these guys and their families and children being thrown in the den and the lions devour them before they touch the ground. We don't, there's no flannel graph for that, all right? So we don't get to that, but God's judgment and God's wrath is a real thing. But what I really want us to think about this morning, because the story ends with Daniel being rescued from the lion's den, and he walks out, and just in a minute, you know, we read about how no harm had brought to him. There wasn't a tear on his clothes. You know, the lions didn't touch him. And when when we study that story as a kid in Sunday school, you know, the message is, you know, God's gonna make it okay. God's gonna make it okay. Well, but here's the problem, is that Daniel prayed over and over and over. God, don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. And the king arrested him. And he threw Daniel into the lion's den. There's moments in our lives that persecution probably isn't the right word, but it's just hard. And it's difficult. And we're going to face those situations. Understand that God promises to deliver us. But man, that's a, that's a message that if we, if we paint that Sunday school picture, that no matter how hard our, or difficult our life is, that God will see us through that difficult time. If that's the truth, what do we say to the 7,000 believers in 2015 who died because of their faith? You know, I can't help but recognize that this story, it reminds me of something else. There's sort of this hole carved into the earth. And Daniel's placed in that hole carved in the earth. A stone is placed over that hole in the earth with the expectation that Daniel will die. It's placed over that to make sure that that's what happens. Somewhere around sunrise, they remove that stone. The stone is is removed from that hole carved in the earth. And and Daniel shouts out praises to his God. 
that God had sent an angel. We talked about with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that fourth person that shows up in the fiery furnace and was walking around. And we talked about how that very well could have been Jesus walking around with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Scripture calls this messenger from God an angel, but I think the same thing is very well could be true with Daniel and that, that pit. That Jesus shows up and he closes the mouths of those lions. And so from that hole carved in the earth where Daniel was expected to die, he had new life on that sunrise morning. In several weeks, we'll be celebrating, you know, a story that, that sort of has some similarities to this, huh? That our Savior Jesus died on a cross and he was placed in this carved out hole in the earth. And a rock was rolled in, in front of it with the expectation that he would stay in that grave dead. But when the stone was rolled away, he was resurrected, alive. That resurrection offers us the hope of that same kind of resurrection. That God promises to deliver us. And when you read scripture, you understand that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. That when we say yes to Jesus, that isn't, that isn't a promise that our lives will always be smooth sailing. With no lion's dens to deal with, no storms to overcome, no problems to experience but it does promise us a life lived in the presence of our savior jesus for all of eternity a new life that begins today yes but extends forever and ever and ever god promises to deliver us the third response then is that we ought to praise god for that uh, offer of deliverance for his rescue of us look at what happens with with daniel and the king at the king's command, the men who had, uh, verse 25, let's go there. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is, living, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders. In the heavens and on earth, he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and all the peoples of every language and all the earth. Darius was a raving fan of Daniel and his God. He did everything he could to make God more famous. You know, I, I often think of the things in, in life that I'm, I'm a big enough fan of that I will talk to other people about, that, I will, that I'll wear on a t-shirt sort of thing, you know? This is what I want people to know, and I want people to be excited about this, and our relationship with God ought to be one of those things, huh? That we are a raving fan, that God has made such a difference, our relationship with Jesus has made such a difference in our life that we can't wait to share that difference with somebody else. That's the kind of excitement that, that Darius was experiencing and that he, he shared that letter with everyone and he gave credit to where credit was due. He could have easily said, this is the guy who gave in to the idea that, yeah, everybody ought to pray to me for 30 days. It's that same ego, it's that same attitude that has been made new, right? 
He decides, no, we have to give credit to God. He's the one that rescued Daniel. Everyone else would have succumbed to the power of those lions, but God rescued Daniel. Let's praise him together, huh? You know, I did a little research about lions. You know, you're, you're teaching about this guy who's going to be executed by being devoured by lions. And so I was doing a little research, and I discovered this zookeeper in South Africa. And uh, Kevin Richardson is his name. And he's a guy who has all these pictures taken with lions. He's, he's known as the lion whisperer, okay? And, and so he has all these photographs. You can go and find his website and look at the photos and whatnot. But if I was going to take a picture with a lion, if I was going to photograph a lion, I think I would do it like this. <laughs> that makes sense to me, all right? This, this zookeeper, though, Kevin Richardson, he has pictures taken like this. And like this. And like this. He's nuts. Why can he do this? You know, now first of all, full disclaimer, right? He nearly died once. He nearly died once. Because this lion that had been abused was brought to their wildlife preserve. And he approached the lion when he shouldn't have, he said to impress the folks that he had invited to the zoo. And that lion who had been declawed took one swipe with his paw, usually enough to kill or at least severely maim an individual. But because the lion had been abused and declawed in its earlier life, he was able to survive that. Richardson contends, though, that he's able to have these pictures taken, that he's able to, you know, snuggle with these lions to make us go, ah, because he has a relationship with them. Because he raised these lions since they were cubs. And because he knows them and they know him. Now he says that he's able to determine the mood of the lions. And that mood really matters. That he's not always just able to go and, and lean on and lay on and hug and kiss a lion. If the lion is grumpy, he doesn't approach it. If the lion's hungry, he doesn't approach it. I don't know. He's able to distinguish their mood. He has a relationship with them. Earlier this morning, we, we sang a song that describes our Savior as the Lion of Judah. We have the opportunity to be in relationship with the Lion of Judah, with Jesus, the Son of God, who, who offers us the opportunity to be rescued to a new life, that relationship makes all of the difference. We can respond by talking to him. We can respond by trusting him to rescue us. We can respond by making him more famous, by praising him for all that he's done. In the good times for sure, huh? But maybe even especially in the bad. Let's stand and honor him right now.